Psalm 73, um, we're going to be, I'm going to be just teaching out of this Psalm and then I'm going to be talking uh, about, I'm going to read some other Psalms, just like some verses. And, uh, and this morning, this, this is a word that is very dear to my heart. Not only that, but it's something that I have been uh, processing and it's just been burning in me. So the word that I have to share with you today has been burning in me um, for a few weeks now. And, uh, and so I'm really excited to be able to share with you. And, and today I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about the journey uh, of what we read in Psalm 73. This psalmist, this is written by a guy named Asaph who was appointed as a chief musician by David, King David. How many know who King David is? We're going to talk a little bit about him today too. But Asaph is writing a psalm and this is one of those honest psalms. How many know sometimes um, it's hard to get honest in our prayers it's, it's, you know, and we, we like to hold things back. And this is what I love about the psalm is he's very honest. And so I want to read, we're going to read bits and pieces of the entire psalm. And I would encourage you after the message this week, read Psalm 73 in different translations, soak it up and, uh, and, and pray into it. And I know you're going to be blessed and encouraged today. Um, so we're going to be reading from the Passion Translation. First of all, I just want to honor the real Christians in the room that have their actual paper Bibles. Raise it up real high and look around the room. And now all the other Christians say, I want to be just like you. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's funny. is like I bring mine up here, but I usually never use it. I'm just trying to look more spiritual. <laughs> I'm usually using the iPad the entire time. Uh, so if you don't have the passion, the written, the paperback or whatever, tr passion translation, you can read it on your, your phone or your devices. Uh, we're going to read one verse, start off with one verse, and then we'll go through the psalm. You all ready? Psalm 73, verse 1. No one can deny it. God is really good to Israel and to all those with pure hearts. But I nearly missed seeing it for myself. Amen. And we're done. No, let's pray. Father, I thank you for holy moments. I thank you for your word that breathes life into us. Your word sheds light and, and helps us, helps us overcome, rise up, walk straight. Your word brings life. And we thank you uh, that you speak to us, Lord. And I pray right now, would you just ask the Lord right now, say, Lord, give me ears to hear. Just right now, just say, I posture my heart to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God just one more shout of praise. Would you just thank him? Hallelujah. So this has been kind of a, a, a dear psalm to me. And, and uh, the first thing I want to talk about is God's relationship with you. Okay, I want to talk about this because now if you've been going to our church for a while, this is something that you kind of get. Like we, we just did a series on the new covenant, which you, if you didn't hear, we encourage you to go listen to that. Very powerful. Who enjoyed the series we did on the new covenant? Amen. Powerful, powerful stuff. Um, and it's hard sometimes for us to let go of these old covenant things we like to hold on to. Now, that's not to say that the Old Testament is something we let go of. When I say old covenant, I'm referring to the covenant, the uh, relationship the, that we have as a people of God with him uh, versus the relationship that under the Mosaic covenant that the Old Testament people of God, the Jewish people had 
Israel had with God. Now we are now in Christ and we have a new covenant. And this is what the scripture speaks of. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the relationship, the covenant relationship we have. So I want to talk about God's relationship with us. Now, this is so important because as new covenant Christians, especially those of us that have embraced like a, a strong grace message, you know, it is finished. And, and we love like understanding the grace of God and understanding that our God loves us and, and we have a relationship with him. And, and, but how many know grace does not negate responsibility? It empowers it. And sometimes our idea of, of grace is more our idea or our concept of mercy. Grace and mercy are not the same thing. Mercy is encompassed in grace. But how many know that grace is not just a cushion we fall on? Grace is what picks us back up to walk. Mercy is that mercy. How many are thankful? Lord, have mercy for God's mercy, right? But grace is empowering. So in that we have a good paradigm for the most part. I think most of us as believers, we are a grace church, man. We teach the finished work of the cross. We teach Jesus uh, and his completed work and that we receive that. We identify in that. We are holy because of what he did. We are accredited as righteous and we are imparted with his righteousness. He gives it to us as a gift and it comes out of our life. And holiness is a participation before it's a practice not the other way around. We partake of the divine nature and his grace empowers us to do better things in life. Amen. Having said that, because sometimes we have this understanding that grace, okay, it doesn't negate responsibilities and empowers it. But sometimes I think we still have this concept that our relationship with God might be similar to a relationship that I might have with my wife or a relationship that I have with the brother or sister in the sense that uh, there are two parties involved and sometimes one party will turn away from the other party. In God, it's never like that. <laughs> Amen. The father is all, his end of the relationship is always good. His end of the covenant that he made, that Jesus made with his own blood between him and the father, he brings us into this. God always does, his relationship with us is perfect. Now our receptivity of that relationship is a whole nother thing. But I want to talk about this for a minute because it's God's kids. Where's Layla? Layla, would you come up here? Guys, this is my six-year-old daughter, Layla, and she loves the stage. So I just want to bring this precious little girl up here. Just look at everyone. Say hi, honey. Just say hi. Just wave like this. <laughs> She's like, that's a lot of people, dad. And what is this shirt you have on? What is that? Oh, she forgot how to talk. So, so now, Layla, um, you're my daughter, right? Yeah. And um, let me ask you this. Who is daddy's special treasure? Who? You? Don't be shy. Help me out, honey. Who's daddy's special treasure? Who's daddy's angel? Who's daddy? I call her all these things. Who's daddy's moon sparkle? Now, usually she's like, me, me, in front of all the other kids, me. And then if I say, who's daddy's angel? And Hannah will go, like, me. And then she'll be like, no, me. Because when they're all gone, I say, Layla, you're my favorite. Don't tell the other kids. Don't, doesn't daddy say that? 
Yeah. Okay, now I want you to just turn towards me like this. Now look, now Layla and I have a relationship. I'm her dad, right? I'm a father. Now, sometimes I think we think that our relationship with God is, oh, we have, we're face-to-face. We have a heart-to-heart relationship. We communicate. We talk, right? Now, to us, that's our prayer life, our time in the Word, our time in Christian community. But sometimes I think we feel like God does this because we're not reading our Bibles enough or like God turns away because maybe we're not praying enough. But how many know God's disposition towards us is all, his relationship on his end is always love? Can he say Amen. Now, let me just say this, that doesn't mean that Layla doesn't have the ability, though, to turn her heart different directions. How many know that God does not, um, he does not control your free will? Amen. So here's the point I want to make. Layla, turn towards me. Yeah, because you're going to be daddy's girl forever, right? Give me five. Can you guys give it up for my daughter? Come on. Thank you, sweetheart. Sorry. Go ahead. Your hair looks super pretty. I like those sparkles. She's so shy just now. Usually she's, if you know her, she's not like that. So here's the point I'm making. Yeah, it's finished. Yeah, he loves you. But that doesn't mean that we can't turn away, that our hearts cannot turn away. Now, Psalm 73 is that. Psalm 73 is the psalmist being honest with his own heart. How many have ever had really honest prayers with God? Sometimes it's hard though, right? Sometimes it's hard to have honest prayers with God because of our theology. Or it's, it's hard to have, you know, honest prayers with God because like we're afraid that he's going to get mad at us if we express that we might be a little upset with him. Why God? Have you ever had that kind of conversation with God? This is what the psalmist, I want you to put yourself into what he's writing about. He's writing about honesty, things that are going on in his heart. And here's what he says. God is good to Israel and all those with the pure hearts, but I nearly missed seeing it for myself. So sometimes we don't think God is doing things. His activity seems to subside or whatever. But the reality is, is that he's doing things. We just might not see it. Are y'all with me this morning? There's a relation to the posturing or the orientation of our hearts to God and how we see things that he's doing. And if we're turned away from the relationship that he has towards us, the love, the mercy, the grace, we're not going to experience that love and that mercy and that grace the way that we would if we were turned towards it. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, the journey that he takes us on, I love honest prayers. I love my, my daughter, Layla, that you just met. Uh, when Before she started school, we're like pumping her up for school, right? You know you got to do that because then they have to get up early and stuff, and kids aren't used to that. And so we're getting her ready for school. Well, when we would eat at dinner, we would have her pray because she likes to be the one to pray. And so she wouldn't even pray for the food. She wouldn't even pray for us. She would just pray about school. That's, that's the honesty of children honest prayer. Every time, Lord, I just pray. We're about to eat food. We're about to eat some good dinner. She don't bless the food. She's like, Lord, I pray I do good in school. I pray that I do my homework. And for like three months, that's all she prayed was how she would do good in school. How many know that that's the heart, the childlike heart that we should have in our prayer life? Just talk to God. And this is what the psalmist is doing. He's like, God, you're good. And you're good to all of us, especially those that orient their hearts at you, pure hearts but I nearly miss seeing it for myself. And then he goes on a rant. How many have ever gone on a rant? How many ranted on Facebook in the last month? 
Just come clean. Confess your sins to one another. Come on, somebody. This psalmist goes on a rant, and he begins to just write down all of the things that was going on in his heart. Now, what's amazing about this is later on in the psalm, he says, if I had said any of this or spoken of this, I would have betrayed your people. In other words, this wasn't something that processed in him for that long because he never let it come out of his mouth. Or maybe it did process in his mind and his heart for long, but in the Hebrew culture, they understand the power of the tongue. How many know that there's most of the ranting that we do or we participate in doesn't get much process. It just goes right on through our lips. And this is so important for us to catch because he says, had I mentioned or had I given a voice to the stuff that was going on because I am envying the prosperity of the wicked and my heart, I'm just confused. Like, I don't know what is going on. Why are these people that are out in the world and even some of your people doing bad things, but still living the good life? Have you ever thought to yourself, what the psalmist writes later on, he says, have I cleansed my heart in vain? I'm living right with God. I'm going to church. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm in ministry. I've been a pastor for 10 years, praise God. Why in the world does it seem like everyone else is living the good life and I'm doing what's right in God's eyes to the best of my ability but they're living a better life. And this is what the psalm, so he starts ranting. So can I read a little bit of the rant to you? Because it's, it's amazing. He says, here's my story. I nearly missed seeing this. Here's what happened. Verse two, here's my story. I nearly missed losing it all. I was stumbling over what I saw in the wicked. For when I saw the boasters with such wealth and prosperity, I became jealous over their smug security indulging in whatever they wanted, going wherever they wanted, doing whatever they wanted with no care in the world. That's what it sounds like to me. No pain, no problems. They seemed to have it all made. They lived as though life would never end. They didn't even try to hide their pride or their opulence. Cruelty and violence is a part of their lifestyle. Pampered and pompous, vice oozes from their souls. They overflow with vanity. They're such snobs looking down their noses. They even scoff at God. They're, they're nothing but bullies threatening God's people, loudmouths with no fear of God, pretending to know it all, windbags full of hot air, impressed only by themselves. There's a lot of honesty going on in this psalm here. But it's beautiful. Because what is happening, hear me please, the psalmist is reprioritizing things in his heart. I never feel like there are things in your heart that are settled, and then there are things that are in your heart that are unsettled. And there are times in life where you're like, maybe the things that are unsettled should be settled, the things that are settled should be unsettled. Do you know, I think that even... This isn't always the case. Sometimes there's physi physiological, spiritual reasons for this. But I think depression sometimes is when we settle things in our heart that should not be settled. It's the very term depressed, to press down. And we press something down in our heart or we tolerate it and it dominates. Whatever you tolerate will dominate, dominate right? Whatever we just, just succumb to. And the psalmist is saying, 
man, I've, had, I've missed it. I've missed seeing the goodness of God. I'm envying the proud of the wicked, and I'm really upset. And he's going on, and he's, he's expressing his heart. He's letting what is inside of his heart come out of his heart. He's dealing with what needs to be dealt with in his heart. This is not talked about in the church enough. Because we can smile at each other's face when really inside we're like, I don't like you. Or we can talk about evangelism, but we really don't love people. We, or we could do ministry things like pastoring, but we really don't shepherd people. Hello? And we do ministry and we do life. We do relationship. We do marriage. We do fathering, mothering, parenting, all that without prioritizing things in our heart or reprioritizing or dealing with things that are in our heart. The things that have been settled and the things that are unsettled, sometimes they need reprioritizing. And the psalmist is, now you, you've all heard that King David is the, the man after God's own heart. Come on. I mean, we love King David. And it's said that David was quick to repent, which is true in one sense. And we're going to talk about his life in just a minute. But it's important to know that Asaph was appointed by David. I think David was like a, a papa to him, like a father. I think he learned repentance. He learned, and this psalm is about repentance. This psalm and repentance is reorientation. Repentance isn't just turning away from your sin. It's turning back to God. It's reprioritizing what needs to be reprioritized. And sometimes the things that we've settled in our heart, please hear me right now. We've allowed uh, the ground of our heart to actually become fallow. And here's what the Bible says. I love this verse in the Old Testament. I think it's Hosea 10, 12. It says, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. I remember reading this years ago and the Lord showed me like, how many know that if fallow, if ground is fallow and it rains on fallow ground, the ground can actually become more fallow unless it is broken up with a blade. And sometimes we can even come into the house of the Lord and we're still pressing things down and we wonder why we're depressed because we're pushing things down. And we just come and we let the rain of the presence fall on us, but in our hearts, we're still harboring things. We're still holding on to past things. We're still envying the prosperity of the wicked. We're still saying, well, how come pastors deal with this? How come my church isn't exploding like this church? We envy, we envy the prosperity of the ministries. We envy other people's lives. How come they got to drive a nice car? Come on, somebody. I work hard. I haven't got, I haven't got promoted yet. They started a business and they're a millionaire. What am I doing here? And the, the psalmist is being honest with his own heart. And then he goes on. I love what he says here. Verse 13. I'm not going to continue the rant. You can read it later if you want. He basically says, what, what, what am I thinking here? There, like there is intrinsic consequences to this stuff, right? Verse 13, have I, have, have I been foolish to play by the rules and keep my life pure? Have you ever asked that question? Have I cleansed my heart? In vain? Have I lived integrous all this time in vain? Now here's what he says. Verse 16, when I tried to understand it all, I just couldn't. It was too puzzling. Too much of a riddle to me. But then one day I was brought into the sanctuaries of God. And in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. Church, this is why we need to be a house of presence. This is why we need to be a people that come into the light and say, God, 
Would you come and just let your glory shine so that we can see the way you want us to see? The fact is, is that all of our hearts in one way or another, not just the priorities of our heart, but how, where we point our heart are going to affect our entire life. The Bible says that out of the heart, it says guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. The heart is the center of your being. The heart is the cardia in the Greek. It's the core. It's, it's not just an organ in your body. It's literally, you know, that your heart actually has neuro uh, cells. Like your heart and your brain connect. There's tens of thousands of cells. Your, your, your brain uh, is connected to your heart. Your heart actually has, in a sense, like its own brain. I know that's not medical science, but there is, there's actual people that, that it's, I mean, it's not a, a physical brain, but your heart thinks there is a, there's something about the heart. Now in the Hebrew culture, the heart is the center of the being in, in our Western world. It's all about what we're thinking in our mind, but we, what we don't realize is that we can't really take control of our thoughts. If our heart is still pointed in the wrong direction, we got to deal with stuff that's going on in here. Now, women are really good at understanding, like, the heart and how it works. Like, my wife knows when there's stuff going on in my heart. How many husbands are like, yeah, that's my wife, too? They know. They have a perception. Men are a little dull in this area. Praise God. Amen. All the wives are like, see, I told you. <laughs> You're not romantic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but there's something about realizing that, I've got to reorient. I've got to repent. I've got to turn back. And I love the psalmist, the honesty of the psalmist. He's like, I was trying to understand this. I was vexed. I was perplexed. I couldn't. It was a riddle. But then I came into the sanctuary of God, and in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. You see, when your heart is oriented in the right direction, you see differently. You see differently. How many know that if, if you hold on to offenses, your conversations with people are going to be quite different? And it doesn't even have to be an offense towards them. You know that? Like if you deal with offense and you try really, you got to work harder on relationships. If we hold on to offense, relationships are much more hard, right? Because we're in a conversation and I'm hanging out and man, you pray really good, bro. Like you, you should be, you should pray more often, like get on the prayer team. And I'm encouraging someone, right? But if they're offended and they go to church to church and they're offended and they never deal with the church offense, they see me as a rude leader because I'm telling them that they don't pray enough. But that's not what I said. What I said was, you have a gift. I want to see it come alive. Hello? But because of the orientation of our heart, our, hears, our ears hear differently, our eyes see differently. Are you all with me? This is the thing that we need to realize is that what's going on in our heart really matters. In relationships, prioritizing relationships and, and making, th and, and there's a settling. There's something about, you have to deal with it. You have to like, in your being, you have to make a decision. Say, wait a minute, I've been, I've been looking in the wrong direction. My heart is, I'm envying the prosperity of the wicked. That is the honesty and the rawness of this Psalm. Now he goes on and he says, man, until I went to the sanctuary, then I realized there's intrinsic consequences to what the wicked people are doing. I'm not God. I can't fix them. I don't need to worry about them. I need to worry about my own heart. I can't sit here and say, oh, they're bitter and they're this and they're offended and they're that. When I've got my own bitterness offense and all the stuff going on in my own heart, God says, rule over your own heart and make sure your heart is pointed in the right direction. Verse 22, jump down to verse 22. I love this, man. This is an honest prayer of repentance. Ready? We should write this into our discipleship. I was so stupid. 
I was senseless and ignorant, acting like a brute beast before you. Now that's how, that's how we're going to introduce you to the sinner's prayer. That's the beginning of the sinner's prayer. But look at the honesty of this. It's so powerful. I was stupid. I was senseless and ignorant, acting like a brute beast in, before you, Lord. Yet, in spite of all this, you comfort me by your counsel. You draw me closer to you. You lead me with your secret wisdom. And following you brings me into your brightness and glory. Repentance is reorientation. Repentance is not just turning away from things that hurt us and sins. It's actually reorienting our entire life at what's important, at his life, at his love, his communion for us. Now, when I was a kid, how many had any grandparents or parents that lived like on a farm and they had a farm? Anybody in this place? So my grandparents had a farm and we would go out. It's 100 miles in, uh, out of Denver, Colorado, my hometown. Tens of thousands of wheat acres. My grandfather, my grandmother, they passed away. They were hardworking farmers. I mean, day and night, they just, they worked really hard. And I would go out there and I remember going out to this, this place where there's nothing. And, and they had tens of thousands of acres and they had like five or six acres where their, their home was at and all the farm equipment and tons of warehouses and stuff like that. And, uh, and I remember it took like about a day to get used to the stillness and the quiet. There was actually a tiny ringing in my ears. Sometimes I don't think we realize it takes some time to like, you know, listen because there's always so much static and noise going on. There's still a little bit of ringing. How many musicians, when you used to crank that music up and then you turn it off, you have that ring in your ear. And so we'd go out and it was just so peaceful, beautiful. The stars were like just bright. And I remember this was cool because I'm from Denver and, and this what cable TV was rare. Okay. Cable TV, that kind of, we had an antenna, the rabbit ears. Who remembers the rabbit ears? And when they didn't work, you put some aluminum. I was the king at that. They were like, Zach, go fix that. I'd, I would set up, I would make designs out of the aluminum and it always worked. I'm like, I don't know. It's just a gift, man. I would like, you know, put aluminum flags on each rabbit ear and it like, look at channel three is just beautiful now. And so we didn't have cable TV, but my grandpa lived out in the middle of nowhere. He had satellite. This is a big deal. But nowadays, I mean, how many of you in this place say, oh, I have satellite TV. It's no big deal. It's a small dish about, you know, about this big. And it just sets on the side of your house or on your roof. And it's just oriented at one direction. And it's connected, right? Most of the time, unless there's bad weather, it's connected all the time. So my grandpa's satellite dish was not like that. It was this huge satellite dish. Like, I mean, it was probably six feet in diameter. It was huge. And it didn't just sit in one direction. If I was sitting in the living room, my grandpa's watching news, and I'd be like, Grandpa. That's what I sounded like when I was a kid. Can I watch Disney? Sure, no problem. What was he, an old Jewish guy? I don't know what I'm doing right now, but... <laughs> He changes the channel. Here's what happens. He changes the channel. I would look out. I thought it was so cool. I'd look out the window, the satellite dish, real slow moved. Did you have one of those? Do you have one of those? Do you remember? And then bam, it would hit. And then it would connect to the network. I'm like, oh, grandpa, I want to watch a different show. You know, and so if it wasn't on that network, this satellite dish would move. Now, I think that our hearts are like a satellite dish. 
And yeah, there's times where it's like the process, we're reorienting our heart. But I just want to tell you right now, when it comes to repentance, you're not that satellite dish. It doesn't have to be like that. How many remember like baby Christian or you're growing up in the Lord and it's like, you know, you get in a fight with someone on the way to church, your spouse maybe, come on somebody, and it takes three songs to enter into God's presence because you were screaming at your wife all the way here. That never happens with us. We drive separate cars. Wisdom, come on somebody. But when we first got married, we'd be like, all right, we're going to church. Honey, we got to pray. She's like, we're going to church. What do we need to pray for now? I'm like, cuz, we got to pray up in case we want to lay hands on someone because there's someone there that needs a touch from God. That's just how I am. So on the way to church, I'm like, pray with me. I don't want to pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. I want to pray in tongues when I'm in the spirit. Praying in tongues gets you in the spirit. I don't like the way you force me to do things. And then you get to church. And we're worshiping. It's like, I've been yelling at my wife and she's yelling at me. And then, and then three songs and then it's that satellite dish. And then all of a sudden, I'm sorry, I love you, baby girl. You look so fine in the Holy Ghost right now. And you fall in love all over again, right? It was like that a couple of times. I'm not lying. Sometimes us preachers embellish on some things, but that's true. But I just want to just banish a lie that repentance has to be this long drawn out thing. Repentance is you opening your heart to the love of God. If you turn the wrong way, if you got things hanging on your life, open your heart to the love of God and freedom can come to your life. You don't have to remain in this place where it's like, oh, uh, woe is me, victim, victim, victim. No, just say yes to God and he'll bring freedom in your life. Many times we read the scripture where it says the spirit of the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. For years, people read the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I remember uh, 20 years ago, Kim Clement says, no, it's a bad translation. It's where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. The spirit of the Lord's everywhere. But when you make the spirit Lord, freedom comes in your life. I love the psalm. 86.5 in the passion. Lord, you're so good to me. So kind in every way and ready to forgive for your grace fountain keeps overflowing, drenching all of your lovers who pray to you. Your heart is not that big old satellite dish. Your heart just opens up to God and his love. And the psalmist in this moment of being honest, this processing, reprioritizing his heart, comes to the place where he says, man, what was I thinking? This is what repentance is. It's reorientation. Limitations 3, 22 and 23. Are you all with me? Yeah. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Come on, somebody. Great is your faithfulness. I remember when I first read this verse, I'm like, well, I got to wait to tomorrow to get his mercies. <laughs> You know, I believe in the old covenant. Yeah, that, that, that might have been true in some ways. But how many know in the new covenant, his mercies are flowing to you every second, every breath that you take the father's love. Remember, his relationship with you is right. He's always, his disposition towards you is love. He loves you. And all you have to do is say, all right, daddy, I turn back. I just turn back, father. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, we have the apostle Paul, who is a father to the church, the church of Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, in, the, in the very beginning, there's this verse I want to touch on, but I want to read verse 10 to you. But I want you to know in chapter 6, towards the end, he's quoting uh, an Old Testament passage about coming out from among them and being separate. And he's like, don't you realize you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because the church of Corinth had allowed things to come into their hearts 
and defile their flesh and their spirit to, to really mess them up. And here's what Paul says with these promises to come out from among them and be separate. He says, dear friends, oh no, I'm sorry. Let me go back to verse 10. Distress or godly sorrow, sorrow uh, that drives us to God does that. He's talking about repentance. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. So he's telling them, listen, when I rebuked you, uh, you responded right. You allowed that correction to turn you to God, not away from God. How many have ever been reproved by somebody and you're like, oh man, that's rude. Now you have a choice in that moment. The same thing when God reproves us. How many know that God corrects us or disciplines us with words, with his word, not with sickness and disease? Come on, somebody. God corrects with his word. I love when my kids' hearts are postured in a way where I don't need to whoop them. It's great. But how many know God, the way that he corrects us is with truth? That's the way he sanctifies us. His word is truth. Jesus is praying for the disciples. Now, here's what, here's what Paul says. He's like, when I corrected you, that sorrow that you had, it was godly sorrow because it led you to repentance. Now, how many know that repentance is not just being sorry for something? Repentance is not crying at the altar. Repentance is turning your heart. Repentance isn't just getting rid of some guilt. Repentance is not just feeling better about ourselves. Repentance is restoration of relationship. And he goes, and here's what he says. I'll just finish the verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 10. Uh, Those who let distress, I'm sorry, let me back up. I'm gonna just read the whole verse from the beginning. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. Wow. Now verse one, he says this, with the promises to come out from among them, with promises like this to pull on us, dear friends, let us make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let us make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. In the New King James, it says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How many know that holiness is first a participation before it's a practice? You're not holy because of what you do. You're holy because of who you are, because of what he did. And then you start acting like who you are. It's a participation before it's a practice. It's not just, oh, I gotta do holy things. No, I am holy. He said I'm righteous. And you start living the way he says and and you understand who you are. But this is what's powerful. Right after this verse, Paul says, hear me. In the context of Psalm 73 about the heart, dealing with the issues of our heart, reprioritizing, taking the things that we've settled and unsettling them, and then maybe the things that we haven't really made to sit, make a decision. Can I just tell you, sometimes I feel that way about the church. I'm like, man, the church is growing, we're doing great, but I feel like our church, we should be running five services, like bursting at the seams. We should have one of the biggest, like this, I think what God's doing here is so holy. I think every time we come in here on a Sunday, the manifest presence is so rich, so thick. I think the movement we are part of is going to be known in revival history books. And sometimes I'm like, God, I don't understand why people won't just prioritize in their heart and say, I'm all in this thing. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes like, okay, God, I'm all in. 
And the apostle Paul, he says, here's what he says right after that. Open your hearts to us. Open your hearts to us. Not only believe that that is God's call, open your heart to me. This is what the psalmist's journey was. He just opened his heart back up to heaven. Most of you know the story of King David. What's interesting about King David and his great sins that we know in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I'll just recap real quick. Most of you know the story, but David is, instead of at battle, he goes out on the balcony stretches, I'm just paraphrasing the story, looks down, sees a naked woman. Her name was, and she was taken a, and he said, holla, and he DM'd her, text her, no, I'm just kidding, and, and he had someone go get her, how many knows that he, he had sex with her, right, he, la- he laid with her, as the King James might put it, and, uh, and he got her pregnant, he knocked that girl up got himself in trouble. And he's like, oh, what are we going to do now? Where's her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, or Uriah with the high and tight. That dude liked to go to the barber shop. And uh, come on, just, just work with me. I'm, I like to paraphrase stories. I want you to be there. Uriah had a high and tight. Come on, somebody. Jared, what are you laughing at right now? Just leave me alone. So Uriah's on the battlefield and he says, bring him back. And, and he wants her husband to lay with her. So, you know, if uh, she has this baby, then it, obviously it's like, oh, it was her husband. It doesn't work out. He's like, no, how dare I? I'm, I'm going to, you know, stay out here, King. I'm not going to uh, lie with my wife. So he tries to get him drunk, doesn't work. And so now David's like, well, let me cover up this sin with another sin, sends him in the front lines of the battlefield and Uriah ends up dying. Now that's chapter 11, chapter 12, verse one. Nathan the prophet shows up, tells David a story. And in the story, David's like, you know, oh, how dare this evil person do that? I'm not gonna tell you the whole story. Nathan says, yeah, that's, that's you. That's, you're a parallel to this story. David's like, what? Nathan exposes both of these sins. Do you know between chapter 11 and the end and chapter 12, one, a whole year had gone by. A whole year the deceitfulness of sin, layers in the heart. Are you all hearing me this morning? A lot of times we think, well, David was quick to repent. I think Asaph might've been quicker to repent because he was processing this. We don't know how long, but he never let it even hit his lips. We don't turn away from sin because of its consequences or because we get caught, we don't repent. And we're not just turning to God because we want blessings and we want a guilt-free life. That's like young people just getting married to have guilt-free sex, which that happens a lot in the church. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Come on, peeps. We don't turn our hearts back to heaven because of those things. We repent, hear me, please understand what I'm saying. It's because we want to experience this beautiful relationship that we have with God. It's not because we want a blessing or we want to prosper. Does any of that really matter when it all comes down to it? And the psalmist is realizing this. 
I don't care about the prosperity of the wicked. What was I thinking? I'm turning back. Have I cleansed my heart in vain? That doesn't even matter. I am turning my heart back because I just want to be in your presence. Because this relationship I have with you is more dear to me than anything else. How could I not prioritize life itself? How could I miss the mark by turning away from communion and love and life itself? That's who you are, God. And that's what repentance is. It's turning back to communion. Repentance is embracing our union and our communion with God. There's something about the love that we have for the presence of the Lord. I want to close by reading the end of this psalm, but I want to quote three psalms real quick that exemplify the love that we should have for the presence of the Lord. Kevin, you can come up. You can dim the lights. Psalm 1611, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Psalm 26, eight, I love your sanctuary, Lord. It's the place where your glorious presence dwells. Psalm 27, four, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this only will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. You remember what King David did when the ark returned. He danced before the Lord with all of his might. In Psalm 51, we read the repentance of King David after this year when Nathan the prophet confronts him. Psalm 51, there's one portion. He says, take not thy spirit from me. Are you thankful that we're not forsaken by his presence, but sometimes we turn away from his presence and we don't experience that love. But all we have to do is open our hearts back up. Repentance doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing. We just open our hearts back up to him. And the psalmist in Psalm 73 he closes his honest conversation with God about envying the prosperity of the wicked and he seals it with a cry that says, there's nothing more that I want than your presence. Read, would you read it with me in verse 25? Whom have I in heaven but you? You are all I want, God. No one on earth Nothing on earth means as much to me as you. Can I just tell you right now, church, church, we as the people of God must prioritize the presence above everything else in our life. We must prioritize our communion with the Father more than anything else. Hello? You want to be a good husband? Love Jesus more than you love your wife. You want to be a good wife? Love the Father more than you love your husband. Hello? And he says, whom do I have in heaven with but you? There's none on earth that I 
desire besides you. Lord, so many times I fail, I fall into great disgrace, but when I trust you, I have a strong and glorious presence protecting and anointing me. Come on. Forever, you're all I need. Those who abandon the worship of God will perish. The false and unfaithful will be silenced, never heard from again. But I'll keep getting closer and closer to you, Lord Yahweh, for your name is good to me. I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works my faithful and glorious God. Would you seal it with a shout of praise right now? Come on. I want you to lift your hands with me. Close your eyes right now. Come on. We're going to close with a song. And as they begin to sing right now, as the worship team releases this, I want to open up the altars. And I want you, with the honesty of your heart, come and reprioritize, reorient, and take refuge in the presence of God. Come on. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, whom do I have in heaven but you? There's none on earth I desire besides you. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I turn to you. I open my heart to you. I reprioritize. Say it out loud. Come on. I reorient and I take refuge in your arms. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So I pray right now as those that want to come during this song, the altars are open. Just come and kneel, come and worship, and come and make a decision within your being to say, God, there's nothing more that I want than your presence. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together, church, before we dismiss. Amen.